Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have very interesting conversations with folk musicians that are also honest. I'm your host, Cindy House, and today we have Wallace Bird on the podcast. More on that after we thank our sponsors. Basic Folk is supported by Lindsay Myers from LMNO Management, who encourages you to support independent artists by going to live shows, hosting a house concert, and buying directly from artists. Wallace Bird is a joyful musician who is an incredibly emotionally exciting live performer and songwriter. I remember seeing her recently at Club Passim in Cambridge and just like leaving the show enthralled and just hadn't seen a show like that in a really, really long time. Uh, Wallace Bird, originally from Ireland, she suffered a major hand injury as a child that uh, we definitely talk about in this podcast, but left her fingers permanently marred on one hand. Although she was able to work around that and become a stellar guitar player, one of seven children, she grew up around her parents' pub and witnessed a number of interesting characters in an experience that helped informed who she is. On Basic Folk, we talk about her upbringing, her views on faith and spirituality, and her immediate attraction to the guitar, starting with her first guitar she received when she was six months old. We also get into her career, talking about the publishing offers she started getting when she was just 12 years old. Wallace was signed to a couple of major labels, but uh, definitely saw the writing on the wall as the label was hoping she'd be another type of Amy Winehouse. Wallace is a very uh, business-savvy musician and was lucky enough and smart enough to have navigated that situation quite well. She has a new album that is out now called Woman. We're going to hear a song from that record, which you can check out anywhere you get music. Let's hear the song Salve, and then we'll get into our conversation with Wallace Bird on Basic Folk. doing this. Uh, thank you, Cindy. Thank you. Just let me know if I ask you a question that you don't want to answer. There's no such thing. Oh, great. That's what I love to hear. <laughs> Let's start by talking about Wexford, Ireland, your mm. hometown. Um, what is your hometown like? Your parents had a pub. What was that scene like? Um, that was really nice. I grew up on the part of town which was on the tracks, basically. It was on the right side and the bad side of town. So uh, my parents were very welcoming. They didn't really stop many people to come in and drink whereas a lot of pubs around that time did stop a lot of people coming in oh like you can't come in yeah you're not welcome uh mm. my parents did the exact opposite they kind of welcomed in everybody and just made sure that they knew their own responsibility they knew their own you know limits it was a very sweet pub uh they had music quite a lot a lot of traditional music uh, no, when I, clientele. When I uh, imagine like an Irish pub, is that like what it looked like? Like dark wood everywhere? It was. There was a. There was definitely a lovely snug part of it, which was very kind of late seventies Irish owl fellas pub. And then they had the the modern part at the front, and they had like a pool table in the basement and a, an arcade game. So, like I say, there was every type of person came in, young, old, and. 
um, falling apart or coming together. And it was a gorgeous clientele. My parents were really, really sweet. They sometimes somebody would like have drank too much and they'd let him sleep overnight in the pub and or they'd drive somebody home at the end of the night. Uh, yeah, I learned a lot from that place how my how my father and my mother treated people. Mm. Um, they always treated people with respect and grace and but only if they received it back. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. like a reciprocal yeah. type of relationship, yeah. Did yeah. you work in the pub? No, I was too young. Mm. But I used to steal from the pub. Does that count? Mm. I used to steal change from the till. <laughs> and I had to reach up to get to it. I used to steal crisps and like ginger ale and <laughs> running around in like a nappy. Where was music in, in your family? I read this really lovely quote that you said music was the thing that kept us all individual and in turn brought us together. Mm. We all love music. Like my, we're seven kids. Uh, my mother, father and seven kids. Where do you fall? I'm number six. Yeah. And so they're all major music collectors. Like my father was a DJ and What kind of DJ was he? Rock really. Like yeah. radio? Uh no, sorry, um like a traveling club. around clubs. Okay. Yeah. He had like go go dancers and her specs with lights underneath it. Wow. And he was quite uh he used to get closed down by priests and stuff like that. Like <laughs> he was fairly forward thinking rock DJ traveling around, you know, they were called Sounds International and it was at his company, mm. Sounds International. <laughs> it's cool, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they had a rainbow down the side of their bus. I love these stories. But, um, yeah, like, so, I mean, there was always, there was no no shortage of music in the house. And it was all rock-based and pop-based. Uh, he loves music with a message, revolutionary tunes, a lot of soul, a lot of funk. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, we just we rinsed his record collection and then as we grew older we also got our own stuff and I mean I didn't buy my first record until I was nearly 18 I didn't have to I was just full of my my brothers and sisters and parents music yeah yeah I mean that's a lot of people to borrow records from I'm telling you yeah, yeah. still doing it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um what about your mom with music she's always singing she's always always singing so she sings more than I do. Um, also a massive fan of music, but in a completely different way. Like it doesn't, it wouldn't have shaped her life the way it shaped quite a few of ours lives. Like my brother is a, he's a writer and he plays in a couple of bands. My other brother is a drummer and a singer and plays in a couple of bands. And my sister books bands. My other sister worked with musicians and you know, so that there was a, yeah, that was the common thing about us. But uh, my mother is just, like she loves lyrics and she likes to quote lyrics so I guess that was her strength in music what she gave to us mm. really yeah do you ever play with any of your siblings well that's a good question like my little brother Stephen he's a an incredible drummer so whenever whenever I go home we sit down and we kind of have a little you know animal uh, drum off <laughs> um, do you also play drums I do yeah I love drums so I teach him a a lick and he teach me one and um, yeah we have a lot of fun like that but actually no I think that only when I was a little kid between the age of five and ten my brother Edgar and I we used to make radio stations and invent songs about going to the cinema and going to the butchers and <laughs> cute we went down to the butcher's shop we got lemons meat and a piece of chop this kind of thing you know <laughs> What's but, a piece uh, of chop? Uh, lamb chop. Oh, okay. yeah, or a or a cut of cut of meat. In Pittsburgh, they call they have a dish called chip chop ham. It's just chip like, chop ham. Yeah, so it's all just kind of like diced up. Oh, like hacked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it good? I, I've never actually had it. Okay. Yeah. I don't eat meat that often, but maybe for a chip chop ham, you would. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It sounds like a good bluegrass song. Yeah. <laughs> Chip chop ham. <laughs> um, and read a little bit about your grandfather, who was a Sean Nose singer. Is that how you say that? Yeah, Sean Nose, yeah. It means old style. Um, yeah, he was a Sean Nose singer. He was a little brat, so he was. I only found out very late in my life that uh, my grandfather was... Uh, he wrote songs about the local politicians to critique them and keep them in check. 
He is a little badass, like. Was he also in Wexford? No, he was in County Meath, so in a village called Summerhill in County Meath, which is about two and a half hours away from Wexford, yeah. So I was born in Meath and I moved down to Wexford when I was five, so. But yeah, he was an interesting man and there is some recordings of him knocking around, but they have to be found, you know, they have yeah. to be dug out, yeah. That is a project. That is a project. Yeah. Somebody took care of it recently, so I know that in the last 20 years somebody got hold of the recordings, it's just now mm. finding them, yeah. And uh, he's also an accordion player? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was the he was an accordion player and uh, he was the first person that got me into music actually. So he had this beautiful baby accordion, a beautiful blue pearlescent accordion and he always kept it above above the press in the bedroom and uh, I was always like blinded by this glistening shimmering thing and I saw him play it once as a baby I guess and I made him take it down uh, when I was uh, like a two-year-old or a three-year-old and that was the first instrument I ever held in my hands and just hearing that instrument just go oh you know it was like <laughs> what is this and that that changed my life um and I think that's how I relate instruments to being a living, breathing thing. It seems that just um, reading through your interviews and watching videos of your interviews and listening to your music that you're a very joyful person. Yeah. And you talked a little bit about the pub and it seems like that might have been part of kind of cultivating that particular trait. But where in general was joy in your life growing up? I think it was constant. Like, um, I don't remember my parents ever having hard times like they even though they had but they never they never let us know uh we never lacked nor wanted for anything they were really sweet fun parents um really really kind to us strict but not unruly so uh we great respect for them like my dad makes jokes out of absolutely everything like there's you know there's never any there is tragedy but there's always comedy in it and mm. that's i i guess i get that trait from him my my mother is like i mean fair play to her she she raised seven kids and i've just got major respect for anybody that could do that and um we're we're like little feral animals as well. Like we're all <laughs> we're, we're all fairly wild and active people. So I don't know how she did it, you know. Yeah, that it definitely stems from that. Like just finding the comedy in everything and seeing the silver lining, and nothing will ever be so bad that you can't get a joke out of it. Yeah. Mm. You're left-handed. Can we talk about this? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. yeah. You're left-handed, but you had a really terrible accident when you were a little mm. baby that caused damage to your hand. So mm -hmm. can you tell tell me what happened? Yeah, when I was um, when I was 18 months old, I fell under a lawnmower, and uh, when my father was mowing the lawn, and uh, chopped all my fingers off on my left hand, the top of the thumb, all across the fingers, and. Um, yeah, it was 34 years ago. I mean, they've done an incredible job. I never receive any after issues. I've, I've not got any problems with arthritis or, or movement or cla I mean, nothing. I mean, it's an incredible job. And actually, funny story is that uh, two days ago, my father chopped the top of his finger off what? on his left hand, on his baby finger, oh, no. with, a, with a strimmer, with a grass cutter what is the chances like and Tracy my partner she reckons like some forms of trauma have they come full circle and so perhaps I mean he's never felt bad about it I've, const I've constantly told him that I love it I, this is my thing you know what happened to me I got great oh he was there he was pushing the lawnmower when oh. I fell underneath it so he I, I mean he would feel he he doesn't think about it that often. He shouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, but when he does, you can see the grief in his eyes. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine. But yeah, two days ago, he cut the top off his finger. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty, 
it was pretty upsetting when I heard about it. Mm. And I, I'm still pretty upsetting, but I really feel for him, Bob. So you were talking about your injury and you said, um, it was my thing, I love it. So what was it like to grow up with that affliction and then how do you talk a little bit more about how you feel about it? Yeah, I never, there was never a point in my life where I felt embarrassed by it. I was more embarrassed by other people's reaction to it. It used to be quite frustrating. As a kid, people would uh, make fun of it and uh, say, oh my God, come here, look at this girl's finger. And I just always remember thinking, that's pretty, I, I found I found that sad, sad uh, judgment in a sad way because I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. I would always make jokes about it. And, you know, if somebody, I'd say, I, you know, I bite my nails too hard or I put my my baby finger up my nose for kids and tell them, like, be careful picking their nose, and, you know. <laughs> and uh, I got great, I got great crack out of it. Um it definitely brought out a sense of um, middle finger to other people who would say, oh, lads, it's, so, it's such a shame that you have a handicap. And I was like, I, I, I don't feel like I do. And so, I mean, or people would think it was ugly. And I would say, I don't feel like it's ugly. So, you know, I think I got a lot of, I'll do it, I'll do it more now because you said that I possibly can't. <laughs> um, and uh, people say, oh, you can't play the guitar properly. I'm like, I play it double hard for you and, you know. So there is a there's a show off in me because of it. Yeah. Yeah, and I also take great care because I know there's people that are not so lucky with their um what would you call it? Uh with their wounds. I'm I'm not even sure what you call it, but people don't experience such uh, mobility as mm. I do and so I take great care of it. I, I send a lot of pure messages down to my hand to, to be mindful of it to take care of it you know and, and it treats me well so I treat it well and it treats me well how do you send messages down to your hand well I just pay attention to it look at it and be thankful that it's so good to me yeah and that's just sending good vibes down to the hand like a meditative know. type of thing yeah it's um healing a healing uh, connection to yeah to heal better to look after each other I mean, and that's quite a lot of quite a lot of um mental health and physical health is paying attention to what's happening in your body and seeing like if there's something not right then send your body messages to to spread the healing and and what can I do to make it feel better yeah is that based in faith or just a um what is it based based in it's based in um I think it's being connected uh body spirit and mind really I don't believe anything in this world's not connected. Like I, I feel connected to this table that we're, you know, leaning on. Uh, this possibly is a couple of dead bodies. You know, went into the making of this table, hmm. because you know the body rots. It goes into the earth, and that, in turn, could grow into a brick or into a tree, which turns into the wood that makes this table. Hmm. So, um, I believe in the power of uh, connectivity through the body language and uh, that quite a lot of communication is outside of words um i believe in the power of praying i'm not a i wouldn't be a practice you know i don't practice praying and i don't practice meditation but i'm very much connected to us being as one and the power of positivity and the power of anger and that emotion is um contagious yeah mm. It's a deep faith in that way of, of it being, everything has meaning and, and purpose. Where did those beliefs come from? Oh, that's a good question. Like my father and mother always said, like, believe in something. You know, as growing, growing up, we, we were encouraged to go to mass and we were encouraged to believe in deity and encouraged to believe in um, community through faith and stuff like that. But as time passed and as shame was exposed in the catholic church and disgusting uh, disgusting inhumane treatment was exposed across the catholic church that's when that kind that that had to leave you know there was a there was the common respect was not there so uh, the kids fell away from the church first and then my parents kind of began to pull away themselves but it was really ingrained as a kid you know the, pow- the power of the church is more powerful than um the police and uh mm. it was it's a very traumatic upbringing that ireland has had over the last couple of hundred years you know 
up until the 90s, the last Magdalene laundries was closed, you know, and that was basically a labour camp for for women where children were stolen from single mothers at the age mm. of 16 and sold in America. We came to the, the realisation that it's all about people and how people treat people, and that's how mm. we lived. So I've I've read I've read it a couple of times, but I want to hear straight from you, like how you actually like picked up a guitar and mm. what kind of guitar was it, and where was your left hand, where was your right hand? Right. Well, I got my first guitar from the age of six months, um, and I couldn't obviously I couldn't hold it until I was about one, I'd say. But um, my parents say that I had one in my hands just as soon as I could start to hold things. It was just constantly there. And um, that was just a little baby guitar, I suppose. It's no more than maybe 35 inches or something like that, you know. And then uh, my sister, I remember, she got a proper guitar, a proper beginner's half-body, like quarter or quarter-body guitar at the age of, I think she was, I think she was either 10 or 12. And I saw that and I just robbed it off her. Like, I just, <laughs> it was just mine. And I remember that look that my father had. He was like well what can I do you know what I mean she she <laughs> wants it and she my sister Trisha was like she won't let me play with the thing I just wouldn't get it out of my hands like so my dad was like look just let her you know so from the age of 18 months when I had the accident I was I was holding it um and playing it but I was playing it as a right-hander and then I had the accident and I had to my hand was bandaged so I couldn't play it and um so I swapped over and I started that was a very natural thing. I just held it the opposite way. So I strum with my left hand and I uh, play the chords with my right. So that just was a very natural progression because of um, bandaging as, mm. a, as a toddler. But you are left-handed? Um, no, I write right-handed and I play... I open jars and I play tin whistle with my left hand. That's really hard to wrap my mind around <laughs> for some reason, but now I know you use both hands, so mm. all mm. is fair. Yeah, and love and more. Yes. Um, and guitars. <laughs> <laughs> so you started playing guitar, and when and why did you start writing music? Um, well, that was also, that's also very much, uh, I was born with it uh, quite I was quite literally born with uh, music in, in uh, as my personality, really. So my parents said that I was whistling before I could talk and that I was going crazy in the womb when a certain TV uh, theme tune came on. Do you remember which one it was? Yeah, it was Coronation Street. Uh, and it, it's a it's a brass, I think it's like a, a French horn, and it goes... Ba, 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 da, ba. When you hear it now, do you also go crazy and kick Love things? Love it. Yeah, yeah, kick everything in my wake. <laughs> everything just gets smashed. Uh, it's a beautiful tune. So, yeah, she said I used to go crazy for that and the two Ronnie's theme tune, which I, I couldn't point out right now. But Yeah, so I started writing. I remember the first song I wrote, which was that day when I grabbed my grandfather's um, accordion and I just had a, an Im impulse to get my family out into the garden in the sunshine so that they could hear this thing that I was learning after learning on the accordion, which I'm sure was like, yee-haw, you know, which is a kind of a donkey, but it meant the world to me at the time. And I remember that feeling just being like, something feels so right about this. And I was a toddler. I was, it was only a baby. I suppose I was three. And ever since then, it's just like sitting down in the garden, looking at the plants or looking at the grass and singing a song about that. And, and just over time as a teenager, it developed into actual songs and people started singing them back to me. And that's when I realized that I'm actually doing something here. This is a thing. And what was your early experience with performance? And then how, how do you relate to performance now? Again, I'm pretty lucky to be naturally just very comfortable with being a... I have to admit now, over over the last couple of years, I've come to the realisation that I'm actually just a vessel for something that's way more important than I am. Um, because there's a kind of a purity, a something that I can't explain, I, and I can't, uh, I try not to hinder it or shape it, it is what it is. And that's just been something that I was born with. Um, so never had any stage fright? No, I never... I mean, the only time I get stage fright is when I'm playing at some my friends' weddings. 
I get real stage fright then because that's a very important day in their life mm -hmm. and that's something to be taken very seriously where they would really enjoy if you performed well and instead I'm just this barrel of shakes. And <laughs> I, so I oftentimes say, look, I mean, I'll do it, but I get very nervous and it's the only time I get stage fright is for the really important things like, yeah. <laughs> but apart from that, no, I was just born performing. Not in a, hey, jazz yeah. hands kind of way. I just really, yeah. Uh, your live shows have a reputation for their great energy. So what do you get from the live experience? So, well, it's um, without sound and twee, it is um, an outer body thing. I mean, I love it so much. Every show is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a new door. Every time I play a song, I find something interesting and new in it. And I, no matter how many times I've done it, I just I can't. I, like your interview with Matt here in Passim, it was he just said he never fails to love it more every time. I, I can't, I'm, paraf I'm, I'm quoting him badly, but <laughs> he just has the energy for it and he never loses interest and he never gets tired of it. And I'm exactly the same way. Mm. I really related with that. I was like, some, it is just that it is what it is. Like some people get tired of it. Some people are made for stage. Some people aren't. It's something that I love. I enjoy every minute of it. Yeah. After yes. high school, you moved to Dublin mm. to study songwriting. You really did your homework here. Sure did. <laughs> it's amazing. How did studying the songwriting craft change your approach? Oh, I got, oh, I, I failed in college. I was, um, I was a silly delinquent. Like I really, my teacher in college, uh, my first course was amazing. She was a very, Anita Cullen, and that was a one year course studying uh, music production. I loved that because it was simply just technical studying how to record properly and well in any way and uh, I loved that so I've you know gained a lot from that but um, studying in college somebody telling me like the form of a song is A, B, A, B, C, whatever that just drove me demented and mm. I, I stopped showing up for class and I actually failed songwriting in my college uh, diploma I actually have a fail that's the pull quote <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um I failed songwriting I just really did not like anybody putting songwriting into a box mm. um I didn't think it was fair I was like have you not listened to Bohemian Rhapsody or have you not listened to baroque music or the renaissance and you know I mean music is about physically changing the world and being a mirror to everything in the world so mm. I was like you can't put that in a box of it I had no time for that yeah <laughs> so it didn't change your approach basically <laughs> it just made me want to do, do things a little bit differently and kind of it made, it made me want to do whatever I wanted to do even more mm -hmm. so I, that kind of went even against me with um I'm sure it went against me in many different ways but I'm not sorry for the life that I have I mean I could have quite possibly been way more famous and I who knows what the future will bring mm. but right now I'm extremely happy with the choices that right. I made because I own my songs I own the rights to my songs I have you know saved up enough currency from big labels that wanted to pay me back in the day when I was you know they thought I'd be the next big thing and I just saved my money spent it wisely my management is incredible I'm so lucky that they were like yep we look after you. This is a long-term thing. It's not a one-off thing, and um, it's a it's a matter of teamwork that I am where I am today. That was like literally my next question. Oh, <laughs> you just <laughs> answered it. That's really funny. Yeah, it was like, what kind of career did you think you would have versus the career that you actually have? Mm. When I was uh, younger, I signed my first. I was I was getting offered publishing deals and stuff from the age of twelve, like. So from the age of 12? Yeah, so very early on I've been kind of thrown into scenes of business people saying like, "Oh, we see some kind of a potential here." And I think I'm at the tail end of the the glamorous rock star, you know, this kind of limos and um this kind of thing. I I think I've seen the tail end of that definitely. <laughs> Yeah, so my first record publishing deal was offered to me at the age of 12 with a, 
a really fantastic writer called Eugene Waters and we were a duo, we were writing a lot together. And that was the moment I said, no, I need to write for myself, I can't write with anybody else. So I started playing I, in a lot of different bands and then I got my second record deal when I was 20 and that was with Island Records and then my third one with Columbia and then with Ruby Works and over the course of time it's been with the same management for together for 15 years wow. and they've really shaped me into the person that I am today the artist that I am they said always have always own your own music it's your music mm -hmm. always own it if you're going to work with somebody make sure that it's not for five years because that's your youth that's your life and if it doesn't work out for one album then what are you going to do for the next four you know what I mean you're tied mm -hmm. so they said no we'll work for one album see how that goes and then we'll continue from there if it's working well and um, the larger record deal thing was it was just too many people too many cooks too much yeah. branding too much commercialism and there yeah. was not enough heart and soul I yeah. read that yeah for for the major labels there were too many cooks and that like if you wanted to change something you'd have to like ask so many people oh, like up to 40 up to 40 people wow. to get even you know to even I make my own merchandise and I design the covers and it's quite a you know a, what's a holistic project you know that it doesn't just end with the music you mm -hmm. look after how it looks and yeah you know, all that kind of thing and even just to get your artwork to the to the cover or into that into the artwork of a CD booklet or something was like a fucking chore so I was like mm. this is just it was a it was a drudge in the, and um, I didn't really didn't like to be dressed up and yeah you know it was a bit weird what kind of artist do you think they were envisioning that you would be they had hoped that I would be a kind of a new Amy Winehouse in terms of lyrical. They were hoping that I'd be a kind of, like Amy Winehouse, an incredible guitarist and incredible lyricist. Mm -hmm. But she only be, hit the big time with Back to Black mm -hmm. and she became a kind of an iconic figure. But before that, it, she was her prowess was in how she kind of mixed mixed genres of hip hop and jazz and mm. pushed kind of a new envelope there and they were looking they signed like myself and 12 other female artists and like you know threw a load of shit at the wall and see what sticks basically and and um I mean yeah they I was very very thankful that they signed me but you could tell when you got in there that it was just basically see what sticks wow yeah which is what they do Gosh. you know yeah when when some formula is working and it's a money maker. Then roll with it, you know. Keep going with it, mm -hmm. and and you. I mean, it's a bank at the end of the day. It's a it's a money making machine. It's a bank. Uh, music is very far down in the in the quota of what's important there. Wow. Yeah. Not for you. No. Uh, you've moved around quite a bit, and you've ended up in Berlin. Yeah. So what makes Berlin home? Berlin is, uh, I, without sounding silly about it, I mean, Berlin is kind of a utopia, actually. It's very hard to, it's very rough-edged. It's very cold, and the people are cold. It's a dirty old town, and uh, it's poor, and um, it changes all the time, and it's history, history with the war and the wall. It's extremely dark, and it's not for everybody. But it's a diamond, you know, it's an absolute diamond. There's so much art just bursting from the seams there. And um, there's a real sense of immediacy to the art there. That's that makes, why I'm there. It makes a lot of sense. Mm. I've been to Berlin one time, mm. and yet it just seemed so sad. Yeah. Because, like, we I mean, we're there as tourists, so we took a lot of historical tours. Wow. And they're all very... It's tragic. Like, this is where Hitler was murdered, and yeah. here's where the Holocaust remembrance is. And yeah. Here's where Michael Jackson hung his baby up. Oh, my window. God. <laughs> that makes me real sad. <sighs> All of those things. Yeah, I mean, um, they're incredible. The Germans are incredible for uh, having dealt with their past. They chastised themselves so hard. They had to. It was mm. disgusting, and we don't... It, we, we shouldn't ever do anything like that again to ourselves and war brings out the monster in people mm. so their their history towards other humans i mean it's a it's a 
it's so tragic that yes they they really had to learn from that and they how were they going to do that they had to be completely transparent and, and completely responsible for their past so that's led them to be very again responsible people they care for their environment they care for each other they care for and firstly it starts with yourself like if you there's no suing culture there's no um no, you're responsible for yourself. And if you're an idiot and fall over a thing, well, that's your fault. You're an idiot. So that's the kind of culture there. So health and safety is basically don't be a fool. You know, pay attention to your surroundings and pay attention to those around you. And the politics in Germany has a great history of strongly critiquing itself. Like, because, I mean, they've had a Holocaust come out of not critiquing their, mm-hmm. their politics. Came out of the First World War when things were pretty hard and German people were looking for a change and then they chose this interesting character called Hitler you know mm-hmm. who was kind of saying all the right things at the right time and yeah and it's it's a very it was only a couple of years before everything changed and then there was just people getting murdered on the streets and that was the new norm and uh, we have to be careful that this kind of thing doesn't happen again it's very very easily it can happen very very easily you dismantle the system, people become poor, they become needy, they need answers, they need answers quick, and then that's when dangerous people come into power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dangerous dictators and murderers come into power and that's that only takes between ten and twenty years. Yeah. That'll be part three. Part three. <laughs> God, this is such a dark uh, <laughs> You're such a joyful person. I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's talk about... Um. <laughs> All right, let's talk about being gay. <laughs> <laughs> you ready? Here we go. That was fucking brilliant. <laughs> I think it's one of my favorite things I've heard this year. Like, All right, let's talk about being gay. <laughs> All right. Uh, how do you identify... Um, I identify as she, her, um, gay, I guess, yeah. Okay. What has been your experience as an out musician? Because you've seemingly always been out. Mm. What has that evolution been like for you? As a musician, what I've loved is that uh, I always had 50-50 audience in terms of gender. I don't even like saying 50-50 anymore because I don't believe in... Gender. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, I kind of I kind of woken up to that. It's like it's just a feeling rather than genitalia, really. So my audience was always super mixed. Like, you'd never see a more mixed audience. Mm. Uh, I loved that. I always loved that. Like, really, all ages, all denominations, all... You'd look out and you wouldn't know who was playing tonight. I always loved that. Um, whereas friends of mine always had a musician friends of mine had a quite a specific look to their audiences they had like sexy girls or lots of boys and you know screaming taxi drivers kind of thing you know <laughs> um, there was always a look to the their... three genders yeah <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah so growing up I guess I'd ne- I never really paid attention or never really sang to one particular audience and that really showed and when I looked out from stage, so um, I never stuck to anything or found anything different. I was just myself on stage, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's been a legacy of queer musicians that have come before you. So what is your experience with that history and how do you feel connected to that? I have so much respect and thanks to give to any to any artist that had to like work through being normalized because I think I came on a kind of uh, I rode the crest of the wave of artists like Ani DeFranco who spoke om- openly about her uh, queerdom and having relationships with women when other artists were couldn't really speak so um, openly about it and uh, Sophie B. Hawkins, you know, she had a couple of huge hits and, and they were about women, but I'm not sure if she was out, but everybody knew it. And uh, Elton John, I always feel great sadness for, great sadness and, and great, like, uh, respect for that line that he had before he came out, which was, uh, I don't have much money, but boy, if I did, 
I'd buy a big house where we both could live. And you know that he was speaking to his lover at that time mm. and he snuck in the word that, you know, colloquial word boy, but it actually was an extremely loaded word. And mm. all these artists that had to hide or were, or were open about it, like Liberace, how could you not know? <laughs> um, so flamboyant, and but it was still hidden. And Yeah, I feel sorry for a lot of artists that had to really hide because it's poisonous to hide. I did hide too. I mean, I, hide, I hid it to the point of being sick to my stomach and just feeling like a sick human being, like I was going to hell. And I had all of that that I had to come out of, but... Was your family still enraptured in the Catholic Church? Yeah, like, it wasn't just my family, it was absolutely everyone around us. Oh, that's you know. tough. Yeah. Being Oof. a secret, sick human being is a real How old were you? To bear. When I knew, I've been flirting with girls since, I remember, it was my brother's car, I was eight, and there was this really cute girl on the ferry that I was taking, and I used to wear this, like, little shirt that boys would wear, because I thought that boys, girls found boys attractive so if I wear a shirt that a boy would wear then they'd find me attractive or they'd be interested and I remember flirting with a girl when I was about eight years old and I came out to myself when I was 18 on my birthday on the 31st of December 1999 I was 18 I can't remember I can't, I can't add failed maths in school by the way <laughs> and um, I came out properly to my parents when I was 21 and 30 mad musically um, very out since home I would mm. say my my last record where I have my girlfriend on the cover and is that Tracy yeah yeah and that was like oh, I've got nothing to hide now yeah right mm. how does it feel I actually for forgot that I was gay <laughs> it feels so good up until this moment <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah honest um, to gosh, well, yeah. Is, like, <laughs> I have to remind you of something <laughs> but yeah a friend of mine um moved from London to Berlin and she uh, three years ago and she said Wallace I really need to go gay dancing take me to a gay bar and I was like why is she asking me I'm not gay and then I went oh my god <laughs> wow <laughs> and that was my moment and I've never looked back since yeah what's your relationship to your singing voice you said a little while ago I don't know if it was a couple of years ago where you said my voice feels like it's gone into a more womanly manner which I'm mm. quite enjoying mm. what does that mean uh, the timbre has changed and um, I, I work a lot on my voice now uh, my singing voice uh, I really wanted to explore how far it can go so I mean, one thing that I'd like to learn is yodeling because that's a whole other style of, of um, using the diaphragm of the throat, you know, stuff like that or throat singing. And so as I get older, it's just I'm pushing the how high and how low it can go to other extremes. And I'm using my head voice more and basically just training it to see where it can go. And I think because it's a throat muscle, it, it's not degenerating. It's actually just getting more interesting for me now yeah I love smoking to see where that leads my voice and I, I love pushing it really hard and I like losing my voice and I like watching it just develop that's it really this might be a weird question but looking through your press and your videos your hair is always mm. changing and it's always like very interesting what is your feeling about your hair and all the different styles and how do you use your hair as like an extension of expression? <laughs> Thank you for recognizing that. <laughs> my hair holds my memories. That's for me my, my thing. And, it, and I always remember how I was feeling, what state of mind I was in, what well, physically my health and mentally my health. And the marking of time, I always remember what year that was or where I was, uh, mostly what kind of touring I was doing. And um, yeah, so my memories and my identity uh, consistently change, like my style of music. And uh, yeah, that it very much represents something <laughs> that's going on in my subconscious. And uh, like right now, I'm growing my hair over my eyes because I reckon there's something that I kind of maybe want to keep private or there's something that I'm about to learn about myself. I shaved my head because I had nothing else to hide. Yeah, that was around the time that I wrote 
the record home and I was like I'm actually the most open that I've ever been in my entire life mm. so I just said fuck it and I shaved my head much to my parents dismay um, <laughs> they were upset about the gay or the shaved head the shaved head for sure <laughs> um, they they could get over the gayness because that wasn't going to go away but they didn't know if the shaved head was going to stay and <laughs> it really upset them and it just wasn't worth it in the end um, <laughs> so I just started growing back my hair yeah, so like the side shaving was beginning to like come out and that was the beginning of uh, kind of a defiance against my previous works and, you know, to become a little bit more modern and th then that was Architect, the more modern sounding electronica record and mm. uh, then the head shaving was felt like purity, a blank canvas, yeah. You have a new album mm -hmm. coming out, Woman. Yeah. And... You're saying that your styles have changed record to record. Yeah. And your hair has changed record to yeah. record to reflect that style. So mm. what, what is the style of this new record? The style of this record has a thread running through it of, of soul. Funnily enough, because I think, like, well, soul music is from the soul. Yeah, it's, it's just a lot of the... I think we're in revolutionary times now, um, very open-mouthed times music that really reflected modern change was soul music back in the 60s you know American soul music and um, a great generational shift uh, social culture generational shift you know was happening in the 60s in America for example and I can see those kind of generational shifts happening in in my life in the world that that I see so it was a again subconscious thing that just I kept leaning towards soul music and revolutionary music and symbolism of love, respect, peace, sex, death, healing and these these words. I just really needed them to come out in a simplistic mantra and um, the best way to do that was just in through a really easygoing soul vibe, really. Yeah. Well, I wanted to end the interview talking a little bit about food mm. and music and also talking about Anthony Bourdain. Oh, I love him. Yeah, you had listed that you really loved his book, Nasty Bits. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to know, so you had a great quote about him. You said, his writing was poetry. He would blow your mind with a melody. I always read his books as if he was a rock star performing for his life. How did you come across his work and what, I mean, that line just says perfectly like what you connected about <laughs> him, but if you wanted to expand on that. I was handed uh, his book just as a like a here's a book my boyfriend's not reading it uh, you can have it and I was like well I'm not reading anything at the moment so I just opened it up in the center and he was and the first line that I read uh, some of the best food was the shit food that I ate from a stall on the street and I just went okay I like this guy because <laughs> um, he's a he's a, a master chef you know and uh, I think people who are living that who experience the best things in life ought to really appreciate the the shittest things in life yeah <laughs> salt of the earth yeah yeah the Great. the highs and the lows of mm -hmm. life you have to know both to be able to appreciate the highs i think mm -hmm. you have to know the lows and vice versa and uh he was just so open to life wasn't he mm. he was just so open to it to experiencing and i really respect that yeah mm. and the way he looked at it there was never a sad day in his life from what i read to, from his work and he he used life to his advantage, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was a total rock star. Totally. You also cook? I love cooking. I'm not a very good one. I love cooking. I love cooking for people. You know, I'd, I love somebody's in the house. I'm like, are you hungry? I'll do you up something. I'm not good or anything, but I stick weird things together and hope that it works, and I love cooking. Do you think that cooking or do you think that music and food have a connection? Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of the reasons why I moved to Germany was because I got a hot meal before I went on stage and I just said, this is a game changer. This At is every respect. show? Yeah. Wow. Uh, in Germany, they treat you with basic respect that you get a hot meal before your show because, like, who can... Everybody has to work on a on a full stomach, do you know right, what I mean? If you're right. going to get a good job out of somebody, you have to, like, at least feed them. Yeah. Feed them and water them. And, I, and that wasn't the case before that. And that was like in 2006 when I made my mind up about that. I was like, <laughs> food for my soul, I'm ready to go on stage for you. I'll do anything for you now. You know, you fed me. Thank you. I love it. Yeah. And that comes from the Irish thing. Like, you know, if you have, 
you know, if I have a pound, you have 50 pence. And uh, if I have bread, you have half. Um, we do something on this podcast called the lightning round. Okay. Will you participate? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, we'll be Uh-oh, right back. Oh, here yeah. we go. <laughs> We're going to take a short break and then we'll come right back. Basic Folk is brought to you in part by Lindsay Myers and Elemento Management, who thinks if you like the artists on Basic Folk, you'll like Acoustic Troubadours, McDean, and Tina and Her Pony. Check them out on Instagram and Spotify. And thanks to WIUP in Indiana, Pennsylvania, which airs Basic Folk 2 p.m. Eastern every Saturday. You can listen on 90.1 if you're in the Indiana, PA area or at their website, WIUPFM.org. All right, Wallace Bird, <laughs> you ready? I am ready. Okay, quick one-word oh, answers. Oh, God, these things. You're going to love it. I know, I know. They frighten me. <laughs> no one likes it. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm dread fascination right now. Uh, dogs or cats or something else? I love cats and I love dogs. So both. Yeah. Acceptable. What is your coffee order? Americano with some milk. Do you have a favorite U.S. city? Um, I don't know enough about it. I suppose let's go to New York. I, I, it's very exciting when I'm yes. there. Yeah. yeah. First concert. First concert. Uh, school concert. Watching my teacher play the piano. What's your dream collaboration? Oh, uh, Bjork, I would say. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles. Morning person or night owl? Morning now, yeah. Flying or invisibility? Ooh, flying. What is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Oh, um, probably... Oh, the mountains in the west of Kerry come to mind. Um, in Ireland? Yeah, yeah. And also um, uh, Banff was beautiful in Canada. There was an area in Canada. Yeah, it's amazing. I was pretty pumped to ask you that because you've been so many different places. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's the vision, isn't it? It comes to your mind and then you're like, okay, well, I'll go yeah, with that one. Yeah, there we go. That's it. Yeah. yeah, whatever pops into your head first. Yeah. yeah. Can I give you that lightning round? You know, it's so funny. I interviewed, so you just played a show with Amanda Shires mm-hmm. and and I interviewed her for this podcast and she also wanted to give me the lightning round. Okay. So I accept. You accept? Yes. Okay. Dogs or cats or otherwise? Uh, both, but I oh. have a cat. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Flying or invisibility? Flying. Flying? Yeah. Why? Because you can fly. Okay. Yeah. You just like a bird yeah, soaring yeah. and in my dreams I run and jump and fly <gasps> and you feel it yeah so you know what it feels like yeah yeah okay pen or pencil pen how do you take your coffee with vanilla soy milk ooh fancy <laughs> that's right super fancy okay um no streaming anymore or no live bands anymore no streaming okay so you would still go for live bands yeah cool home cooked food or restaurant food home cooked and it would be your food I'll eat it <laughs> try not to poison you okay <laughs> deal okay alright thank you so much what a pleasure yeah. thanks a million thank oh, you yeah. go see Wallace Bird live I implore you you will not be sorry she's so good the new album woman is out and uh thanks to wallace again for talking also thanks to adam Corey for producing this episode of basic folk with support from laura mccarthy our business manager lindsey myers alex stanton of townspeople does our music i'm cindy house and i host it i host this podcast that's right You've been listening to me host a podcast, and now we're at the end of the podcast. You can find show notes at cindyhouse.net, sign up for the mailing list there, and you can also sign up for our Facebook group, Basic Folk Basics. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.